some expeditions had been more successful than others. The 11th expedition in particular had been difficult, and personally difficult for me with regard to a fact about which I have not been entirely honest thus far. End quote. Earlier, she lays out in detail a sense of her own curiosity. Quote, My lodestone, the place I always thought of when people asked me why I became a biologist, was the overgrown swimming pool in the backyard of the rented house where I grew up. My mother was an overwrought artist who achieved some success, but was a little too fond of alcohol and always struggled to find new clients. While my dad, the underemployed accountant, specialized in schemes to get rich quick that usually brought in nothing. Neither of them seemed to possess the ability to focus on one thing for any length of time. Sometimes it felt as if I had been placed with a family, rather than born into one. They did not have the will or inclination to clean the kidney-shaped pool, even though it was fairly small. Soon after we moved in, the grass around its edges grew long. Sedgeweeds and other towering plants became prevalent. The short bushes lining the fence around the pool lunged up to obscure the chain link. Moss grew in the cracks in the tiled path that circled it. The water level slowly rose, fed by the rain, and the surface became more and more brackish with algae. Dragonflies continually scouted the area. Bullfrogs moved in, the wriggling malformed dots of their tadpoles always present. Water gliders and aquatic beetles began to make the place their own. Rather than get rid of my 30-gallon freshwater aquarium as my parents wanted, I dumped the fish into the pool, and some survived the shock of that. Local birds like herons and egrets began to appear, drawn by the frogs and fish and insects. By some miracle, too, small turtles began to live in the pool, although I had no idea how they had gotten there. Within months of our arrival, the pool had become a functioning ecosystem. I would slowly enter through the creaking wooden gate and observe it all from the rusty lawn chair I had set up in a far corner. Despite a strong and well-founded fear of drowning, I had always loved being around bodies of water. Inside the house, my parents did whatever banal, messy things people in the human world usually did, some of it loudly, but I could easily lose myself in the micro-world of the pool. Inevitably, my focus netted from my parents' useless lectures of worry over my chronic introversion, as if by doing so, they could convince me they were still in charge. I didn't have enough, or any, friends, they reminded me. I didn't seem to make the effort. I could be earning money from a part-time job. But when I told them that several times, like a reluctant antlion, I had had to hide from bullies at the bottom of the gravel pits that lay amid the abandoned fields beyond the school, they had no answers. Nor when one day, for no reason, I punched a fellow student in the face when she said hello to me in the lunch line. So we proceeded, locked into our separate imperatives. They had their lives and I had mine. I liked most of all pretending to be a biologist, and pretending often leads to becoming a reasonable facsimile of what you mimic, even if only from a distance. I wrote down my pool observations in several journals. I knew each individual frog from the next, old flopper so much different from ugly leaper, and during which month I could expect the grass to teem with hopping juveniles. I knew which species of heron turned up year-round and which were migrants. The beetles and dragonflies were harder to identify, their life cycles harder to intuit, but I still diligently tried to understand them. In all of this, I eschewed books on ecology or biology. I wanted to discover the information on my own first. As far as I was concerned, an only child and an expert in the uses of solitude, my observations of this miniature paradise could have continued forever. I even jury-rigged a waterproof light to a waterproof camera and planned to submerge the contraption beneath the dark surface to snap pictures using a long wire attached to the camera button. I have no idea if it would have worked, because suddenly I didn't have the luxury of time. Our luck ran out, and we couldn't afford the rent anymore. We moved to a tiny apartment, stuffed full of my mother's paintings, which all resembled wallpaper to me. 
One of the great traumas of my life was worrying about the pool. Would the new owners see the beauty and the importance of leaving it as is, or would they destroy it, create unthinking slaughter in honor of the pool's real function? End quote. One of the great traumas of her life was worrying about the pool, a curiosity beyond her transformed husband. The film never makes this case, but neither does it contradict it. Second 42, close on Ventress, right profile. Just below frame, she raises her pencil and then sets it down. She cannot help but smile as she begins to reply, but her attention is downward, her eyes nearly closed. Dr. Ventress. So, so that's, that's the, the complication. complication. She nods. She looks up. Dr. Ventress continued. You, you want, want to come with us. us? Second 50, close on Lena. Still a quarter turn from fully facing us. She turns more and moves closer as she speaks. Lena. I can't, can't do anything, do anything for him right here. here. Second 53, close on Ventress, from the front. Her eyes are directed downward and nearly closed. Dr. Ventress, soldier scientist. If she had not already wanted Lena for this mission, in this brief pause you can easily imagine her calculating the variant for this mission with Lena included, how it changes whatever parameters are on the page before her. Dr. Ventress, continued. You, you can, can fight, fight, eat, you can... And time runs out for this minute. We spoke. What was it we said? Wordlessly watching, he waits by the window and wonders at the empty place inside. Annihilation.